So go ahead and pick your own deity. You're the key ingredient, she said. You have all the power. You will not be asked to obey a rule you did not select. God in a box. Sometimes we do this with God. We sort of smooth him out and clean him up where we don't like him. We do it by the way we read our Bibles, by the way we take Christian tradition and scripture, and we, well, we emphasize the things we like, and we minimize the things that displease us, and we smooth them out. Sometimes we try to redeem God, even, from the pages of scripture. We try to redeem him from the way he's been presented. We redeem him with hopes that he'll become more pleasing to us and perhaps the world. Your Old Testament is full of examples of a God that's not so pleasing. Texts of terror, you could call them. And while they're sprinkled throughout the Old Testament, I'd like to suggest this morning that there is something more foundational, more core to the children of Israel and their faith. And that happens at the place, the foot of Mount Sinai. When the children of Israel gather and the ground trembles and the the mountain moves and the sky is dark and the cloud settles and the, the thundering voice billows, commands, the Ten Commandments. We're not sure we like the God at Sinai either. Some of you know that tomorrow is National Ten Commandments Day in the United States. Sunday, May 7, Christian churches around our country are organized in the community, holding various events that uphold the Ten Commandments in the community, reaffirming their own commitment as local congregations to God's binding law. And that's happening in various places throughout the world. I think that we need to know and be aware right up front and be candid that sometimes these agendas are driven by political motives. And it is not really that much different with what's happening tomorrow in our country. Not everything labeled Christian in our world is good for consumption. And I just want us to be aware of that. Sometimes in the name of God, we begin to rescue things. And and it seems we're rescuing the Ten Commandments. For the Ten Commandments are being removed from our Capitol buildings. They're being removed from the public square. They're being removed any sign of them from state government. And we need to rescue the Ten Commandments, for after all, we are a nation built on the moral code of God. That's what we're being told. I just want us to think carefully, because sometimes what's labeled as a Christian conversation in the world actually is much more political today. It's much more personal, and it's much more about humans than it is about God. And we just maybe need to be a little cautious. However, it is not a bad idea to reflect on our history, to do a little self-reflection on a nation supposedly built on the moral code of God. What does it mean for a nation built on the moral code of God that says, Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt have no other gods in place of me. How do we hold that alongside of all those who have lost their lives, all the land that has been seized, perhaps our our attraction to capitalism and consumption, which are gods of their own kind, aren't they? It's smart to reflect on what it is to be a nation built on the moral code of God and and how faithful have we been since we set soil, 
set foot on soil here. We're, we're not going to talk about that. I invite you to reflect on it. We are, however, going to talk about the Ten Commandments in church for the next few weeks. We are going to talk about what we read in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. We will pay attention to all Ten Commandments. And I say that to you as your Adventist friend and sister because in my Bible, the fourth commandment is not written in bold. Although sometimes I get the idea that we think it is. Now, the fourth commandment is precious to us theologically and experientially. It's rich in meaning and it is from the beginning of our Bible all the way to the end. When the kingdom is completed, we understand about the Sabbath. However... Sometimes we take that to a a one-upping situation with our fellow Christians in the world. We are, after all, the denomination that keeps how many? All ten commandments. And I've heard that recently as Adventist voices and Adventist media prepared to engage in the national conversation about the Ten Commandments Day. I think we ought to be a little careful that we not get on that elevator that takes us up in terms of obedience, where we stand above all the rest of the Christians in the world. We might want to be careful about that. So we'll look at all Ten Commandments. And in fact, because of that sort of countercultural voice in the Adventist community that I'm sensitive to, I thought of naming the sermon series The Other Nine Commandments. What about the other nine? Someone suggested in our worship committee meeting. Let's call it that. We won't do that. We'll just pay attention to all ten. And how about if instead of pointing our fingers at society, we just look internally? How about if, if uh, instead of condemning a world that won't pay attention, we ask about a person who might not be paying attention? What if we look for our own sake? And what if we keep the political speak out of the church and keep the God speak in? The Ten Commandments are God speak. And they belong here. What about these Ten Commandments? They're called the Ten Words in Hebrew. The word commandment isn't present in the Hebrew Bible. The Ten Words, the Ten Articles, the Ten Things, the Ten Ideas. Do you like that any better than the Ten Commandments, the Ten Rules? For those of you who maybe don't like to be told what to do, there are none of you here today, right? I don't like to be told what to do. I never have. Now, we realize we live in a world full of rules, arbitrary rules, an awful lot of them. There are classroom rules, rules for how to get into college, rules for how we pay our taxes and pay our bills, and rules for how to access the health care we've already paid for, rules about how to take care of our body and our teeth so they don't fall out. There are rules everywhere. We understand we live in a world full of rules. That doesn't mean we like it. And some of you are fairly creative about how to get around those rules, There are a few of you here today, aren't there? Show me the rule. I'll show you how to get around it without breaking it, mind you. Years ago, when I worked at the medical center, I watched the time clock very carefully. I was 21 years old. It took me only a couple of weeks after I was hired to realize there is a rule about the time clock. If you punch in by 7.07, you get credit for being present from 7 o'clock. If you punch in at 7.08 you get credit only for being present from 7.15. So what did we all do? Make sure we're present by 7.07. 
We get credit for the whole seven minutes. It, we're not, we're, we know how to figure these things out, don't we? You show me the rule, I'll show you how to get around it. It was interesting, a month ago, did any of you watch the Angels baseball game when they pulled the pitcher off the pitcher mound during warm-up because the, um, the plate umpire didn't like on the sleeves of Irving Santana. They didn't like, apparently, he had these little round dots on his undershirt. And the umpire said, you know, that could be distracting to the opposing hitter, so just go back and change your shirt. All right, so he went back and put a, a different undershirt on and came out, and fine, he's, they still won, the Yankees. Whatever. A rule. Can't have little dots on the cuffs of your undershirt when you play baseball. All right. You, uh, you know I have a relationship with the police. I got stopped on the freeway last week. You're to be my friends and you laugh. 8.45 a.m., the 91 freeway this time. Tuesday morning, last week, on my way to the conference office for a meeting. I was pulled over. Do you know why I pulled you over? Because you're not supposed to answer that question, remember? Do you know how fast you were going? Do you know that you had the nerve to speed between a California Highway Patrol on one side and a Riverside County Sheriff on the other. (laughs) Crazy. I I thought I was in the safest place in the world right there. (laughs) I had all the authority around me. She said, and you had the nerve to speed even after you passed the sign on the freeway. The sign is clearly posted, 65. Do you know how fast you were going? You were going 69 miles per hour. Thank you so much. I got a ticket for going 69 miles an hour on the 91 freeway, the most dangerous freeway in Southern California. Am I right? 8.30 in the morning. She told me to pull out and drive safe. Now, if I drive 65 miles an hour on that freeway, I will be killed, won't I? That is a dumb law. That is arbitrary. And I don't like it. And someday I'm going to have one of those paths and I'm going to find all these people and I'm going to write them a ticket and see how they feel. Do you know how fast you were going? Since the conference administrators are going to be here this afternoon, I thought I might just pass that ticket on to them. I was on my way to do the Lord's work in Riverside. We don't like laws. We don't like rules, do we? Come on, that's human nature. So when we open Exodus 20, we have a natural reaction to a list of rules. Verse 1. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is referred to as the preamble or the prologue to the Ten Commandments. We we recognize the first commandment starting in the next verse. Thou shalt have what? No other gods before me. It is interesting that in Hebrew and Israelite faith and then in Jewish faith, they recognize the first commandment beginning with the preamble. So their first commandment reads, beginning with verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That is the commandment for the ancient Israelites. 
And it makes all the difference in the world to the Israelites. And it makes all the difference in the world for us to know about that preamble, to know that prologue and to understand what it means. Who is this God standing behind this code? Who is this God making this claim? Who is this God who wants to have a treaty? It's the I am God, the Yahweh God from the burning bush with Moses. I am that God. And and for the Israelites, it's a statement of the being, the existence of this God. And it is a call to obedience. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. It's a command for them, even though we don't see an imperative in those words. And we, we, we understand very quickly that the Israelite faith is not based on an idea about God, but rather an experience with God. We have to read Exodus chapter 19 and even back further to understand this. But if you just move back to 19 verse 4, we see that God explains a little more fully. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and you keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. Oh, it's this God. It's the Yahweh God. We understand when we read Exodus 19 now what God we're talking about. Last week, Pastor Isaac began this conversation when a lot of us were at Pine Springs Ranch and we were between sermon series. We had just finished Mark We're just about to begin the Ten Commandments, so Isaac and I spoke, and we decided that Isaac should begin the conversation for the Ten Commandments, but I said to him, don't do something so foundational that we missed it when we're all at Pine Springs Ranch because we we don't want to miss what you did and not be able to catch up on the conversation. Isn't that great advice to give your colleague preach, but don't preach anything good? (laughs) Preach, but don't make it foundational and important, Isaac. Just make it a little, you know, just spell the Ten Commandments. I apologize in front of your mother. You should be ordained, commissioned just because of that. Preach, but don't preach anything good. I I want to tell you something. Isaac began in Exodus 19 last week with the children of Israel preparing to receive the commands. And let me summarize in my own words today because what Isaac began is the most significant part of what we'll do for 10 weeks. If we miss that, we, we may miss an opportunity to understand these 10 words. Isaac said last week, in my own words now, beginning with Exodus 19 and moving backwards, you better know the God from Exodus 19 and Exodus 18 and chapter 12 and chapter 8 and chapter 7 and 6. You better know that God and you better know what that God has been through with these people. That matters. That matters a lot. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 where here's that same God with, with, with Abraham and Sarah. Matriarch and patriarch. And that God says to them, I promise, I bless you to make you bless you, make you a great nation. Remember that covenant promise? When Abraham and Sarah stepped out on that promise, that was a step out in total, unconditional trust. What did they have to base that movement on? We are in a very different place now from when Abraham and Isaac stepped forward. Now we're at the base of the mountain with the children of Israel. And what has happened in between 
is radically significant. I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one who released you from the house of bondage. You are not a slave any longer. You're liberated and free. It's me. It's that God. And it makes all the difference to know that it's that God before you read these Ten Commandments. So at the positioned at the foot of Mount Sinai, the children of Israel are in a very different place. Now this God can say to them, I have done these things. You are my children. I have bought you. You are obligated because of the mighty things that have happened to you. Are you alive? Yes. Are you safe? Yes. Do you have a potential for a future? Yes. You can see because look over your shoulder and look where you've come from. Everything's different now. At the base of Mount Sinai. And for those of you who don't think you can find grace in your Old Testament, do you see it there? Because of what God has done, you now stand in a different place. That's in your Old Testament. So at the foot of Sinai, these children have an obligation to this God. And that's why there's smoke and that's why there's a cloud and that's why there's a thundering voice and that's why things tremble and that's why it looks this way because the divine manifestation is, is before their eyes. They're in the presence of God. This Yahweh God who did all of this and they're obligated. There are two copies of the commandments given and that's typical in these treaty arrangements in the ancient Near Eastern. Two copies. One given to the lesser party and one kept by the stronger party, the God. Only what does God do with his copy of the commandments? Gives them to the children of Israel to put in their Ark of Covenant, which is a very distinctive act. That is to say, I will be with you. I am present among you. You have my copy of our agreement right in your camp. It is a Yahweh God we're dealing with, a very different God at the base of Mount Sinai, not like any of the other gods in the land. And most commentaries give just a little, a little blurb about the mighty acts of this God. And then they go on to describe what you and I must do to be obedient in these Ten Commandments. What our obligation demands of us and requires of us. And I just want to pause this week and say, once again, this story is not really about us. It's really about God. We have to pause and look at the God of Sinai. We have to get a clear picture of that God before we move on. Because if we don't, do you know what happens? We pull these rules out of their context and we place them as a moral code out of their context, which is a relationship, right? A relationship with a God who's done all of this and is now asking for this in return. If we take it out of that context, we have nothing more than a a list of rules, a moral code. And people trying very hard with external behaviors to obey. And we have a word for that, don't we? That's legalism. And that isn't what God asked for at the foot of Sinai, is it? God asked for worship. And then God hoped that out of worship, naturally what would flow are these external righteous behaviors. You must have that foundation. God wasn't looking for legalism, but it sure helps us understand how we get caught in this trap between between grace and the law. And how we seem to have these ideas convoluted and distorted in the Christian tradition. We see God then standing at the base of Sinai and all through the rest of our scripture with grace on one side and with law on the other. 
as a counterbalancing scale. And sometimes he decides to offer grace and sometimes he decides to pass out a little judgment with the law. And, and sometimes he's feeling more merciful than others. And, and we go back and forth and we get confused and we've been misled in the Christian tradition thinking that that's how God behaves. Because God is grace that stands in the middle. Grace is the definition of God, and out of the definition of God in this relationship comes the law to you and I. The law is always contextualized by grace. It's always contextualized by God's mercy. It is God acting in mercy towards us. It's always good news. Judgment is good news. The law is good news. We don't have to be afraid of this. God is not picking and choosing from day to day, which he will be. And that's evident at Sinai, only if we leave the law in its context of this relationship. We don't have to be afraid of this God. Pastor Ken called me on Tuesday night. Pathfinders was happening, and he walked out to the piece of property across the street, and he noticed that there were some signs in the property that didn't belong there. Apparently, there were signs for the, the elections. The council members had placed signs in our five acres. Now, since then, I've wondered if that was a sign from God that we're going to get some attention from the council and maybe something will happen with our paperwork. If that was God's gesture to us, we missed it. (laughs) Because Ken called and said, there are these signs in the property, and I really don't think they should be there. They're advertising candidates to vote for in the race, and so I've pulled them up. And if you think that's a problem, let me know. But I pulled them up and I put them in the back hallway. But as soon as I pulled them up, some police cards pulled up and a police helicopter began swirling over the property (laughs) with a searchlight on Ken. (laughs) And when he called, his voice was a little, (laughs) I hope I haven't done the wrong thing. If you can't find me tomorrow, I'm in the county jail. And we think that God is like that with the searchlights and the squad cars to be afraid of as we make every step in the world day by day. If that's your picture, I'm sorry. I'm sorry it's been presented to you that way, and I'm sorry that you've lived with that fear. That's not the God at Sinai. That is, this is not a God to be afraid of. And that's why the preamble matters so much. I'm the Lord God who brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of the land of slavery. You're not in bondage to that. So therefore, the rest of the commandment, have no other gods before me. Here's what I'm asking of you. Let it be me. Let it be me totally. Don't pretend, friends, that you're interested in the fourth commandment or any of the rest of these if if you're not going to be serious about commandment number one. And I say that to myself. It does us no good to sit in church on the Holy Sabbath day and pretend to be upright about the fourth commandment if we're not going to take the first commandment seriously. Who is your God? Who do you surrender to? Who owns you? Who are you obligated to totally? And who's competing with that? What's competing with that? What's standing in the way? We make an assumption that modern people aren't tempted by other gods the way the Israelites were. Really? Really? Martin Luther said, that to which your heart clings and is really entrusted, that is your God. 
What is your heart drawn towards? What does your heart cling to? And the God at Sinai is asking, is that in the place of me? Because I don't allow that. I'm asking for total dependency here. And you need to remember, I'm not a God of the status quo. I am a God of the future with a promise. It's amazing how these Israelites had a a, a future hope, an anticipation about what was coming because of the God they knew from the past. And here stands Yahweh in front of them and saying, you don't have to cover all your bases with these other little gods. You don't need a sun god and a moon god and and a water god, an ocean god, a fertility god. You don't need all of that just in case something in your back pocket. Uh Uh-uh. I am enough. So will you come to me and let me be your only God? That's the question. That's the command that begins these Ten Commandments. Maybe atheism and polytheism are less concerns for us. Maybe apathy towards this first idea being totally dependent on this one God. I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. You're not slaves. Now I want to be your only God. That's our first commandment. It does no good to try and coerce the world into paying attention to this one or the rest of the nine. Do you see why? The Ten Commandments only matter for people who've decided they want to be in relationship to this God. They only matter for us. They only matter for those of us who are serious even. Did you notice at Pine Springs Ranch, some of us were up there this week at the, in the lobby, at the desk there. I was intrigued when I left on Sunday. I looked up and I saw the Ten Commandments. And I looked up to the first one and I noticed, I'm sorry for the poor quality picture, it's captured on a cell phone. Thank God for those though. Where's the preamble? What does the first commandment say? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You could place that anywhere, any place in the world. It will not matter unless the people who are reading it have decided they want to have a relationship with this God. And it is the same for us. Don't bother with the Ten Commandments. Don't don't waste your time unless you're serious about God. I walked by a newspaper just yesterday. I'm always interested when I see the word grace and the way it's used in the contemporary world because it is a God word. It is a unique God word, but it does have its meanings in our language and sort of the movements of the body. And I saw this picture with these little ballerinas and the headline said, Little Ballerinas Redefine Grace. And I thought, well, that's sweet. And then I start going off on my rant about grace as a God word and who are, what are the New York Times doing with grace on the headline? Here's what I missed. Eight little girls in New York City who've been rehearsing for weeks for their first ballet show, ages three to seven. Eight little girls who all have cerebral palsy. Eight little girls who can hardly stand on their own. What I missed in the picture were the braces. Look at their legs. And where you don't see braces underneath the little tights, they've got supportive hardware under there. And not only the braces on their leg, look who's standing behind them. Each of those little dancers has a teenage volunteer holding them up. 
And the whole crew has a woman out front who for months has been determined that even children with cerebral palsy will dance in New York City. And in this program last Sunday, one little girl stood and walked for the first time in front of her papa. Grace redefined. And one of the little children says, I just want to dance around with everyone else. So look at that picture. The braces on those legs are the Ten Commandments. The hands holding them up behind are the Ten Commandments. These are the things holding us up in a world where we would otherwise fall over and die. This is what allows you and I to stand up and walk. It's the God way back before Egypt who says, I want to hold you up in the world. I want you to dance. You can do it. Let me put these braces on your leg. Will you agree? And you will walk. Do not forget that if you decide to dance with this God... You have a history behind you to stand on. Look over your shoulder with the children of Israel. Could you imagine if you were in the camp with Pharaoh and and Moses comes and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I will not. And Moses comes back again. Let my people go. And the Pharaoh clings more tightly. And Moses comes back again with the authority of this Yahweh and says, let my people go. And the blood comes on the doorways and the angel passes over and you gather your children and your belongings and you rush out towards the sea and you watch you watch the sea open and the big walls encompass you and you cross through to the other side. And with Miriam and the whole group, you sing a song of praise to this Yahweh who brought you out. Can you imagine what that feels like? The God of the Ten Commandments is that God. And the question is, will you be my people? Amen. Let's sing together. Holy words, long preserved for our walk in this world. They resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words
Jesus.